falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found, and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. Thank you. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he was, has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you and I have never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth and pro- with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. Thank you, Tom. You may be seated. I know you usually pray right after he reads. We're going to do that in just a minute. That he's the third choice, by the way. <laughs> I, first of all, was going to have the whole congregation stand up and read from their Bible. And then it dawned on me, you don't all have the same Bible. <laughs> so we would have had trouble. Then I thought, well, there's Bibles under the pews. And I thought, well, that would be a good idea. They can all, those that can get a Bible from the pew could stand up and they would read together. Well, someone came up to me and said there are no Bibles under the pews, hardly. So we couldn't do that. And Tom was standing here, and he volunteered to read it. And so that worked out real well. We're in the, uh, let's pray. Father, we just thank you this morning because we are saved and redeemed by the living, risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Not by any works of righteousness, which we have done. We thank you that our hope is not in men. We thank you that we have been redeemed through the work that God provided for us through his Son, Jesus Christ. Help us to see what's in the words this morning. May your Holy Spirit speak to us and give us understanding of this popular parable that we just read about in the book of Luke. And we just thank you and praise you now. And for those that have special physical needs, we pray for them, some that were mentioned this morning. 
We just ask you to touch their bodies and others as our missionaries serving around the world. It's a wonderful thing to know that the word is going forth. Christ is coming back, maybe today even. And we just thank you and praise you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we're looking at one of the most popular parables in the Word of God, especially in the New Testament, and especially in the Gospels where the Lord Jesus Christ gave them to us. Probably the only other one that's more popular or preached more frequently is the one in Matthew 13 and Luke 18 in relationship to the uh, soil, the, the sore. But it's totally different from this, and, and we have to understand something very importantly, I think, right at the very beginning, is that the parables are not all alike. They don't answer to one thing only. You read sometimes that they are, the parables all say come out with the same thing. That's not true. You read them. Just the three in this passage here, they're in Luke 15, and then those that are in 5 or 5, at least 5 in, ch- in chapter 13 of Matthew, they're different. They have different reasons why they were written, but the Lord Jesus Christ has given to us them all. This one is, you all have heard it preached many times, I'm sure. And I may not give you anything new. I hope we'll see something important in relationship to what we see in this passage this morning. But it's the Word of God. It's important to know what it is. And I want to make one more correction. This is not the prodigal of the Son. So if you see it written in your top of your Bible headings in the the book of Luke here, it's not correct, I don't think. There are two sons in this story. Two sons in this parable and a man, a father. So let's keep that in mind. And each one of them have a particular place in this particular parable. And we're going to look at it and understand some of the things. And we have to put some things into the passage that are not here, which fit in perfectly in relationship to what God is saying here for us. So if you have your Bibles open, we're going to go back to Luke chapter 8, excuse me, I'll get it right in a minute, 15, verse 11. And verse 11 says something like this, And Jesus said, or he said, There was a certain man that had two sons. That's the introduction to the whole parable that's with us here. Jesus Christ said there was a certain man and he had two sons. And then the opening verses jumps right into the heart of things in such a quick way that it's strange to realize that it's so abruptly given to us in this 12th verse. But he says something like this. He says the younger son came to the father and asked for his portion of the estate. He didn't address him as father. Notice that. He just came and said, I want this. It's a command. Give to me my portion of the estate. He didn't tell him why. He didn't, give any, he didn't address him as father. He didn't uh, say, could you give me a, a reason why I should not receive it? Nothing was said by the son as far as we know from the, the text that's given to us. And the father did what? He said he took it and divided it. And gave him his portion. The father didn't say, it's not time for it. You should wait. What do you want it for? None of those things are asked or mentioned in this dialogue between the father and the son in that first verse. And the son did not tell him why he wanted that money. Or the estate that was coming to him 
later on in his life. And that's what happened. Everything was quiet. Nothing was said and, and until the, the next verse. The next verse says something like this. And a few days later, he gathered all of his things together and he left for a foreign country. He doesn't say goodbye to his father or to his brother or to anyone else. He doesn't tell him where he's going. He's not going to tell him what he's doing and why he's leaving, but he left abruptly without any concern for his father's love for him. And we have to ask the question, how did he know about the far far country? Well, I would assume that somebody passed through that way and stayed with them and told this young man all the wonderful things that he could go. If he went to this far country, he could go and he could live freely. He could not only live freely, but he could not be under the rigid rule of his father's righteous living. And he could do what he wanted, go where he wanted, and enjoy himself. He would be free from any kind of domination. Does that sound familiar in relationship to many people living in our world today? They want to be away from God, away from the church of Jesus Christ. They want to be able to do what they want. They want to have their way. But this young man went to this far country. He went because he wanted to be free from all the dominion that he had where he lived. And there are seven joys that I want to mention in this passage this morning in relationship to the things that are here. And the first one is right now. He rejected the joy that he had in his home. He had everything he needed, everything he wanted. He had a loving father. He was able to work as one of the leaders within the family. He could have done what he wanted there on that farm, in that area where he lived. But he wanted to get away, so he rejected the joy that he had. You need to be very careful as Christians that a lot of times God places us in a situation and he blesses us in a very special way and gives us a great joy. But we want something else. And we go away from that. And we look for something else. It's happened many, many. I know Christians that were wonderful living for the Lord. And then they wanted to change things and they left the church. They left everything that was there. And this young man now has gone to the foreign country. He has all the money that it was given to him. And he could do what he wanted to do. There was no father. There was no church or regulation or anything that would keep him from being what he wanted to be free. And what did he do? He spent his money. He forgot that the money was going to run out one day. It doesn't matter how much you have. If you spend it like he was spending, it's going to disappear. And so he began spending money on a very wild kind of living. You can put in there any kind of words you want to put in there in relationship to that. But he wanted to do all these things and he had the money to do them. And and so he did them. He made a lot of friends. He had a lot of immoral living, no doubt, in that time that he was there. And all of a sudden, the money was gone. He didn't have anything left. And that wasn't too bad. But all of a sudden, there was a great famine that took place in this area where he is, this far country where he was. And he was in want. He had some needs. He had no money. He had no place to go. So he signed himself to one of the citizens of the country. And in doing so, 
he gave him a job. What does it say in there? He gave him what kind of job did he give him? He sent him out to feed the swines. How clean is a swine? How smelly is a swine? I remember a number of years ago we parked at a motel in one of the states in the United States and and we could smell the swines. The, the, there was a horrible smell not too far from the motel where they raised them. So he was put out there to feed the swines and he had a great desire to eat what they ate. The husk of the, that the swines were eating, if they would have given it to him, he would have eaten it. But he had nothing. Nothing was given to him. And all of that joy that he was going to have was gone. And here he was alone. Here he had no one to turn to. Nothing to look forward to. But the feeding of the swines. How long he worked as a feeding the swines, we're not told. How long he was in the foreign country, the scripture does not tell us. So we don't know how long he was in the foreign country. Or how long he was feeding the swines. But then it says he came to himself or senses. He began to think as he was feeding those swines every day and began to think about things he had where he lived with his father. And he began to remember those things. So we have the remembrance of the joy that he had. He began to think. He began to see the, the place where the slaves, the servants all lived and ate and they had a beautiful place. And then he saw the dining room that every day that he had a great meal with his father and brother, no doubt. He remembered those things. He began to think about them. But the first thing that he remembered was not spiritual. The first thing he remembered was, I'm hungry. And my father's servants have plenty of bread and more. So I'm going to go to my father and tell him I'm not worthy to be called your son anymore. I want you to call me just as a servant. That was the first thought. It wasn't spiritual. It wasn't what we're going to see in just a moment in the verse there. It was hunger. He wanted to go back to his father's house, back to him, and he wanted to get some food. He was willing to be a slave or a servant of his father. Because he was not worthy to be called the son anymore. But right there in the middle, it doesn't even tell us in the scripture, right there in the time that he was feeding the swine, something else happened. He had a spiritual awakening in his heart. He began to realize his sin. He began to realize and understand why he left. And he began to acknowledge that. He said, I will arise And I will go to my father and I will tell him I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I have sinned. And so now he says, I will arise and I will go to my father. Because he he realized it wasn't just hunger he needed to be fed. He needed a spiritual work in his heart. And he began to see that, that he had sinned against heaven. He had sinned against his father. And so he began his journey home. How long he was in the far country, it doesn't tell us. How long he worked with the swines, it doesn't tell us. But he started on his way home. 
And then it says, as he was there, the father was out watching, looking for, waiting for. How many times the father went out all the time he was gone? Maybe every day. It doesn't tell us. Maybe once in a while he went out there and saying, hope maybe today he'll come back. Maybe today he'll show up. And he was watching. He had a love for this son. He had a dear desire that he would come back home again. And then as he was watching that moment, that day, he saw off in the distance, a long way off, he saw in the distance. What did he see? He saw his son. Not how he left, with beautiful clothes on his body, money in his pockets, and everything that he was going to do and enjoy and have the freedom of. He didn't see that, the father. He saw long-haired, dirty, smelly swine. He saw clothes torn. He saw probably no slippers or shoes on his feet. The ring was gone. The ring of a relationship was gone. And what happened? The father said, ran as fast as he could and came to the young man and put his arms around him and put his arms around him. When he put his arms around him, he kissed him on the, on the neck. And that day, a kiss on the neck was a kiss of reconciliation. We may kiss on the neck today, but not for that reason. But that was a kiss of reconciliation. He was compassionate. He loved his son. He didn't scold him. He didn't say, why did you go away? Why were you so foolish? Why were you were so ignorant? Why did you take all your money and waste it on a riotous kind of living? He didn't say any of that. He said he hugged him. And he kissed him. And he brought him home. To the house. And the son said to him, I have sinned against you and I have sinned against heaven and I am not worthy because you shall make me one of your hired servants. And the father did, he ignored all of that. The father saw the son that he loved and he had such great tenderness and gentleness when he saw him so he brought him into the house. They had to clean him up first. It doesn't say that here but they had to wash him up a little bit get the dirt off of him, get the swine smell off of him, and change his clothes. And notice what the father said. He says, get the best robe. Not any robe. Because it may have been full of many robes, but he says, get the best one. The one that's the most important of all the robes in the house. Get it and put it on him. Can you see the certain man that Jesus Christ called this man? A certain man. He had a deep, deep love. And he showed this. Get the best robe and put it on him. Not as a servant. Not as a hard man or anything like But as a son. But he did something else very beautifully. He put a ring on his finger. He said get a ring and put it on his finger. That was the ring of relationship. That was a special ring that was worn to show the relationship between people, between the father and the son. And he put it on his finger and then he put sandals on his feet. What a 
What a father. What deep love he had for him. That's God, how God loves us. Do you ever stop to think that before there was anything, before there was anything created, just the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that he prepared redemption for you and for me? It didn't just happen when Adam sinned. It happened in eternity past. The Father so loved that which he had created and who had rebelled against him, he provided a way of redemption, of salvation, of forgiveness. And this Father didn't look at all the things the Son did that were wrong. How many of you would want to come up front this morning and tell me your life story? Not how you got saved, but how you lived before you got saved. I don't think too many of you would. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to tell you all the things that I've done in my life that I would be ashamed of. And you wouldn't want to tell me all the things you've done in your life to be ashamed of. The Father did not look at all the sin. God did not look at all the things that we have done that are wrong. He loved us. He wanted us to be redeemed. He wanted us to be reconciled. And he gave us redemption in Christ Jesus. The ring meant that he was back in right relationship with the family, with the Father. But he didn't go and stop there. He said, get the fatted calf. The best one in the lot. Bring it in and kill it and let us eat it and be merry. And that's what happened. Who came to it? We don't know. Friends, neighbors. We're not told who came to it. The servants. But they were singing. They were dancing. They were having a great, great, wonderful time with God probably, and with the relationship restored again, the son is as a son, not as a servant. How long this went on, and then the older son was out in the field working, and he started home. And when he came home, or got near the house, he heard dancing and music. He couldn't understand it. Why were they singing? Why were they dancing? Why were they so merry? So he called one of his servants. He said, what's going on? And the servant said, your brother has come back. And your father has killed a fatted calf. And they're singing and dancing because he was coming back home sound, safe and sound. And the brother became angry. Instead of rejoicing, instead of getting excited, he became angry. He wouldn't go inside. He wouldn't go back, come inside to see the sun or have anything to do. And he, he, he stopped. He became very angry. How much did the father love this son? The same as he loved the other son. There was no difference. And he went out there and he tried to entreat him and talk with him. That the son had come back and we needed to to be merry. We need it to be. So we have a, a missed joy. I forgot to mention that. When the son missed everything, he came back home. And now and then they had a special joy when they had the banquet and all the special things. Now we have what we call the fleshly joy. All this son wanted to do, he says, you never gave me a kid or anything to make merry with my friends. He wanted to have a fleshy joy. He wasn't interested in anything of value. He was interested in just having a great time there at the house. 
You never did anything for me. Why should I go in and see my brother? He didn't say that, but it's inferred that he, he meant that. And the father says to him, he says, son, you've been with me all the time. And everything I have is yours. And you could have used it any time you want. You could have done anything you wanted with it because it was, it was yours. But the son did not respond. He did not say that, but he became even more, maybe more angry. He said, I've been with you all this time. I've never broken any of your commandments. I've done everything that you wanted me to do. I've never, never done that which was harmful or wrong in relationship to you. And that's all he could think of. And I already mentioned that the Father says it is all yours. That's unclaimed joy. I'm going to stop here a minute in relationship to this. How many of us in this room, in this sanctuary, have a lot of unclaimed joy from God. How much God wants to bless us, how much God wants to encourage us, how much God loves us, and he wants to have that joy filled. You read in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength, and it's the joy I have with God, the fellowship I have with God, the, the relationship I have with God is gives me strength spiritually. And how many of us have it unclaimed? It's there. We belong to him. We're not servants. We're not slaves in that sense of the word. We're sons of God. And everything that we have, if we read in Romans 8, it says, I'm, uh, a witness is written there. It says, I'm an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. An ear of God is wonderful, but to join here with Jesus Christ means that everything that Christ has in God, I have. I am a son of God. Not, I'm not God. I'm not made God. I'm still a man, still a human, and that's all I'll ever be in heaven. But he says, you're a joint ear. Anyway, what Christ has is yours. And how much we have left unclaimed, unclaimed, and have not taken into our lives as believers, and we have turned, been there. Why are Christians so, I'm going to use the word sour. Maybe that's not the correct word, but why are Christians so seemingly acting as if they had nothing? I think sometimes I, I hear I was talking about, especially in the churches of America, that when we pray, God will provide everything for us. And that's true. And then I asked myself, what about the Christians that live in countries where they don't have anything? You ever think about that? A lot of Christians, are they not faithful? Is that why God doesn't provide for them? That's why they have to live in such terrible situations? No. I don't have the answer, really. All I know is that God loves them and they're just as faithful as they are. But for some reason, God has put them in a different situation. And we in America have been blessed beyond blessed. And we complain all the time. But we have still great freedom here. We can still meet like this. 
Whereas many, most countries of the world, you can't. But anyway, this son was very unwilling to respond to the, to the things that God, he could have there with the father because he was there all the time. So he didn't take them. He didn't claim them. That all he could do when the son came back was be bitter with the father and say to the father, you've never done this for me. That's unclaimed joy. And then the father said something to him. He said it was necessary that we do what we did and have this special time together, special joy. Because your brother, the son who was gone, is back safe and sound. And he was dead. And now he's alive again. He was lost. And now he's found again. And that's the story ends. The story ends. But you see, most of the time, all we study in this passage is the son that went away. If there's, if there's a prodigal in there, there's two of them. One that went away and one that stayed at home. They both had gone away from the, the care of the father, the love of the father. One was a penitent sinner, the one that went away. He came back acknowledging his sin, that he had sinned against heaven and he had sinned against his father. He, he was penitent. He, he was a sinner, but he was penitent. He turned back to God, back to the father. The other son was a proud sinner. Yes, he was a son, but he was a proud sinner. He never acknowledged his sin. He never said to his father, I have sinned against you and in heaven. He never had. Because he never changed in his heart toward the, God, God, toward the father and toward God. And we see in this story... Right now, both of these people may be in this room. You were once like the first son that went away. And then you heard the gospel somewhere, and you acknowledged your sin, you recognized your sin, and you were redeemed, and you became a son of God. Or you may have lived a terrible life, exactly like the son that went away, that spent all his money on on wild living. But you said, God, forgive me. And God reached out his hand, his heart, his body, and really brought you in and says, you're mine, you're redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. Or you're like the other son. You were where all the blessings were and all the joy was, but you were unrepentant. You didn't, you didn't change. And that's what our world's full of today. There's probably close to 7 billion people living in our world, and most of them are like the second son. They're still unwilling to admit they're sinful. They're still unwilling to admit that they have sinned against God and they need to make things right. And the only way they can be done is through the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so your job and my job, you've heard me say this before, there's two things that the church must do. There's more than two, but two important things. One is they have to teach the people that come to the services, to the meetings, 
the Word of God. And in relationship to that, the ones that come are to take the Word of God and read it. One of the most important things in my life happened when I was about 12 years old. I didn't own a Bible then. But when I made a decision for the Lord, He told me I needed to do something very important. Read the Word of God. And so my sister bought me a Bible, 25-cent Bible. with the hardest print in the world. <laughs> and dark, cheap paper, 25 cents it cost at Woolsworth. And I wasn't very smart. So you know what I did? I started reading in Genesis until I got to Revelation. And I've been doing that for since then, and I'm not going to tell you how old I am. You'll probably already know. I'm 92, so don't worry. <laughs> I just made 92, by the way. And But anyway, it, it was a wonderful thing. And so that's what the church's responsibility is to teach us the Word of God and to read the Word of God together and separately and learn it. If you have a husband or a wife, you can read it together and pray together. It's a wonderful thing to do. And then secondly, the church's responsibility is to send us out to be a light in the darkness. Not, I'm not saying 5,000 miles from here that may happen, but I'm talking about to send us out to reach the lost with the gospel, with the message of Christ. Because they're like the son who's unrepentant. He needs to hear the gospel. He needs to be saved. He needs to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, or she does, and the way they do it is by hearing the word of God. We live in the most wonderful period of history. Now, you may not agree with me. And the reason I'm saying this, not because of what we have, but because of the way we can transmute the gospel around the world. We have radio and television, electronic gadgets. We have pre-controlled radio systems around the world. We can fly. We can get to every part of the world which they couldn't do when Paul was living. They couldn't do when the New Testament church was in the, in the book of Acts. They had to go by ship, by animal, or by walking. And we have the great opportunity to reach the world with the gospel through all the instruments that God has given to us. And especially the word of God that he's given to us to take to the world that's lost. I love this parable because it shows two sides. We only spend most of the time on the one side, the side of the one that left. The prodigal, we call him. The prodigal son. He was, but the other one was too. They both needed the same message. They both need to acknowledge and recognize their sin. And so my message is short this morning. You're not going to miss your potluck. But I wanted to go through this and, and I thank God for it. I thank God because I heard the message. Somebody took time to tell me about Jesus Christ. And when I heard it, I responded to it. And I thank God because I become a new person in Christ Jesus. And that's what this story is telling us. We need to respond like the first prodigal 
and receive the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to help others to respond to it by teaching them like the second man is, the second prodigal, and that he would be saved or they would be saved. And we thank God for the wonderful truth that is ours in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Our gracious God and our Father,